2: check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
3: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisco, along with James Rapine. It's a weekend mailbag, James, and we have like 89 questions or something. Obviously, we're not going to get to all of them, but we have a bunch of them favorited and ready to go. And we're just going to jump right in today because I don't think anything has happened on Thursday related to the Bengals. Am I am I forgetting something here? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think it's a news
0: list Thursday, Jake.
3: I guess if you wanted to stretch, you could say... Maurice Hurst, released by the Raiders, he was a guy that was high on the draft board for me personally a couple years ago. If he's healthy, the Bengals should kick the tires. I'm sure we have questions about that that came in after we stopped going through them to flag them for the episode. So, yes, the Bengals should see what's up with Maurice Hurst to answer that question. The first question that we will read today, James, comes from PJ Foley at PJ8 underscore 23 on Twitter. He wants to know, What positions will the Bengals not draft? It's a tough one because like
0: even the uh, like ones you don't think about kicker, I think is in play. It wouldn't completely shock me if they took a quarterback in rounds six or seven. You know, if one of these guys falls and they're like, oh, well, maybe. Right. So I'll say they're not going to take a punter. They're not going to take linebacker and that's, they could still end up taking a linebacker by the way, but I, if I had to predict safety and outside of that tight end, I guess I would say and who knows, maybe they still do, but I'll probably throw a tight end in there. And outside of that, I think they're going to take an interior lineman, uh, a tackle, a defensive tackle, a defensive end. Uh, A quarterback could be in play. Running back, we certainly talked about with Giovanni Bernard now in Tampa. I think that's in play. Am I missing any positions? Obviously, corners in play.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you you got one of them. Punter. I don't think we'll see a punter drafted, and I don't think we'll see a long snapper drafted. But outside of that, I, I don't think that you can say with certainty that they won't draft another position. I mean, I don't think. They're going to draft a linebacker, certainly not before day three. I don't think they're going to draft a safety again, certainly not before day three, but I could certainly see those positions being drafted on day three, because once you get to that part of the draft, it really is largely throwing darts, especially after the fourth round, after the fifth round, you're just taking guys that you like. So the position starts to matter quite a bit less at that point. I think, and if you looked historically, that would probably line up with the Bengals' approach to things. So, I, I yeah, I, I think I'm with you. Tight end, safety, linebacker, not necessarily going to be high priorities, but positions the Bengals could draft, especially on day three.
0: Next question comes from Brandon Kuhn. He asks, what are the biggest areas of development that you would like to see from Joe Burrow next season?
3: I think the obvious one is get that deep ball working. I think that's the the very obvious one, but I think that some continued development from from normal rookie things is also something that I'm looking for. So improving ball placement, improving his target area for some throws. I, I remember specifically in the in the Washington game, T. Higgins gets open deep a couple times. He he forces T. to break his route right off vertically, which allows to get which allows the safety to get back in the play instead of throwing these guys open a little bit. I think you need to see that a little bit more, especially in the deep part of the field. And I guess those go hand-in-hand, hand, deep passing game and missing his targets a little bit or having the wrong target in the deep part of the field. I think he also, in the Colts game, which Seth Galino pointed out in his long and ongoing thread on Joe Burrow, needs to get a little bit better with eye discipline in some in some areas, not necessarily looking off. Uh, players on the backside of plays are not necessarily looking off safeties and then coming back and not seeing them. So he he did get tricked a couple of times. I think he was generally really good at learning from those issues. And I think that the the last thing I would mention that I would like to see him get a little bit better at is uh, starting to understand his, his limitations a little bit more because he certainly took some hits that were the offensive lines fault, but he also took some hits that were, you know, even if he is going to try to extend the play and try to make something happen out of structure, which I want him to continue to do. There's a balance there. And, and there's a certain point where the, the awareness will improve over time. He'll, he'll become more aware of the athleticism around him in the NFL on opposing defenses. And I think he can protect himself just a little bit more without sacrificing too much.
0: And I think that's a big one is the clock speeding it up. And that's one of the things that are missing out on the final six games of the year really hurts, right? Is, is just being able to, to get six more opportunities, 24 more quarters to play and just get used to life in the NFL. And I don't mean the day in day out stuff, cause I think he was ready and built for it, but just the speed and, you know, different things like that. And you're right. Just seeing different defenses and coverages, but obviously the deep ball is part of it and here's the good news depending on and it really doesn't matter actually where you fall in the the debate with the the fifth pick whoever they take at five should help that should help joe burrow's development in one way or another so that part of it is good because that's the other thing is yeah we want him to improve and i think it's fair to ask at the same time (laughs) my man needs to get his knee healthy and that's obviously been priority one two and three this offseason which uh it makes it make makes it much harder, I think, to improve on some of those weaknesses without playing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that a lot of it truly will come from just rookie to sophomore year growth in the NFL. I, I think that a lot of the things I'm talking about are nitpicking. They're not common issues. they are things that if you wanted to see him take that leap and and you know, cut back on some of the turnover worthy plays, cut back on some of the some of the inconsistencies, those are the things that that jump out to me, right? And the deep ball is is by far, I think, that the most concerning thing that, that happened in his rookie year, but I, I also think that there's every reason in the world to believe that he can correct it, and I'm not really worried about it right now, but it, it is something that, you know, Bengals fans, Bengals coaches, Bengals front office, we're all going to watch because that is an area that needs to get better. Next question comes from Kyle Smith James, at Kyle underscore Smith, 1087 on Twitter. Who are some of the mid to late round receivers you want to see the Bengals target besides Amir Smith-Marset? Well, mid rounds,
0: it's tough. And we've talked about it in the second round. There's there's not a lot of options that I think are going to be there at 38 where it's the best player available. So let's just skip that. Diami Brown would be the one, I think, where it's kind of realistic. Third round, Tylen Wallace. Probably a guy that if, if you haven't taken a receiver yet at 69, you're like, okay, that's someone... That they could certainly kick the tires on and look at. Another guy, and this is probably one of one of the sixth rounders that I would look at is Marquez Stevenson. In this at this stage of the draft, it doesn't matter if they take Chase or Brown or whoever. I'd still be on board with taking a guy like Stevenson because he's he's slight, but he's a burner. Um, he could play special teams. So the, uh, and I watched him play against the Bearcats. So Marquez Stevenson, certainly a guy I would have my eye on. And when I do mock drafts and I'm going through these simulators on my own, I always try to keep tabs of where Stevenson is. And sometimes I get him, Sometimes I don't, but I'm much, much happier when I do.
3: Marquez Stevenson is a guy that really fits what they probably are looking for at that point too with some return ability to replace Alex Erickson in that part of the game with the deep speed. I, I mean, he's certainly not an every down wide receiver, but you can get him out there in a rotation potentially. He's also a captain at Houston James. And and I went through this and we're not going to go too far into it. Cause I'm going to read a long list of names to you guys. Cause somebody you guys have actually c- continually asked who are the captains in this draft that the Bengals are going to go pick because we know their, their track record of going after captains. But another one that uh, I find quite interesting is Frank Darby. He didn't test great, but has really good ball tracking from Arizona State. Huge character praise. His coaches loved him. And so when you're looking for guys that the Bengals might look at, it's possible for both of those guys. Uh, And then there's some some lesser known names. Warren Jackson from Colorado State. He has the productivity that the Bengals like. He has good size. I, I don't know much about him, But when we look at the things that the Bengals like and looking at some later round guys, Seth Williams is a guy we know they might be interested in from Auburn. Anthony Schwartz, also from Auburn, they've had contact with. So those are some names that I think we could keep an eye on later in the draft. James, we have a packed mailbag today. We'll continue working our way through these questions coming up next.
0: This episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life, including ring number four of this collection by Harwell Godfrey out of San Francisco. It's an engagement ring. And man, is it awesome. From the strong geometry and intricate enamel and lapidary work, it is something worth checking out at BlueNile.com. They have something for everyone. So if you haven't checked out what they have, go there right now. And if you're on the hunt for the perfect, unique ring that she's going to treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long. It's the 1010 Collection. So find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. Let's continue with the weekend mailbag. And Zach Yeager, and I hope I'm saying that right, at CincyCB on Twitter, says, I've seen offensive guard Kendrick Green and a lot of fans' pro football Focus mock drafts in round three or four. The draft network has him ranked much, much lower than pro football Focus. How do you guys use different sources to build your draft grades? How do you deal with large differences of opinion between sources?
3: Well, for one... And I think this is different for everybody. I try to watch the players myself, and I've been doing it for a smaller subset of players than people like Dame Brugler for the last three years since I've been doing this podcast for the last three drafts. i've I've watched the players myself to the degree that I can. And uh, you know, I personally, I worked for PFF, so I, I've tried to learn from that. I've learned from other people that know a lot more about football than me, about how to evaluate guys and and what I'm looking for. And a lot of times your intuition is right. If you watch a lot of football and and you really study it, you're going to know what makes a a player look good and bad. And you're never going to get it a hundred percent right, but you start to gain that intuition. And so for me, it's a combination of things. If I can watch the guy myself, I'm going to have an opinion myself and I'm going to use the opinions of others to be like, okay, this is the range. If PFF has Kendra Green as a third rounder and, you know, the draft network has him as a fifth rounder. And I think he's a, a fringe third, fourth guy. Well, now I know he's going somewhere most likely between the third and fifth round, unless something weird happens that we don't expect, or there's something we don't know. So that's my process for guys that I do watch. If it's guys that I haven't watched, There are some people that I tend to trust more than others, depending on the position. So I personally, you know, we we talk about uh, Brandon Thorne a lot when it comes to offensive line. I trust what he has to say about offensive linemen. Derek Klassen does really good work on quarterbacks. I like what he has to say about quarterbacks. I generally respect everything that Dame Brugler and Lance Zerline do to a very high degree. I think they do really quality work on a consistent basis. Matt Waldman does incredibly deep dives. So you you eventually learn to to find people who resonate with you, whose style resonates with you, who put in the work and and you start to trust them. So that's how I do it. James and and Mike Renner from PFF also does a fantastic job. How how do you go about determining, you know, where a guy's true value is because I know you've said quite frequently that, you know, Penne Sewell is is in your mind a much better prospect than Rashawn Slater, but there are some that think that straight up Pene Sewell has a lower ceiling, has, has a lower floor than a guy like Rashawn Slater. So obviously there are disparate opinions out there. How do you reconcile this?
0: Yeah. I mean, part of it is you, you're right. you got to make your own opinions and formulate them and you, you base it on a bunch of different things, right? From who you read. And to me, you just named a bunch of people and all of those are, are analysts that I follow or I read, right? The beast Dane Brugger dropped it this week. He's going to be on the show early next week to, to discuss it in his draft guide. It's uh, it's a process, but I, I think the key is, is formulating your own opinions. To me, there's no way in hell I would take Rashawn Slater at five. That doesn't mean he's not going to be a good NFL player, right? So that's, that's a really good example, but yet Daniel Jeremiah if he's the Bengals GM and they're taking an offensive lineman, it feels like he would take Slater over Sewell if he was going that route offensive line wise. And I don't even know if he would, but that—that's the point though. It's like formulate your own opinions where you want to to go with certain guys. I I think Slater's one his size would be something that would be more of a red flag. Are you taking a potential guard at five? Like long term guard? No one thinks Sewell's a long term guard. He might be a guard year one. So that alone to me, it's like okay, well one's. One's five because he has just as high of a ceiling, if probably a higher ceiling in Seoul. Anyways, my long-winded answer. I formulate my own opinions. I don't base it all on pro football focus grades or what PFF necessarily has to say. You certainly got to watch a certain amount. I don't watch as many prospects as you, uh, I don't think, or, or most uh, draft analysts. I also don't have a big board. But uh, I give my opinions on the guys that I know. And as the draft process goes, I feel like I know – more and more. And then whoever the Bengals draft, guess what? I'm going to know them really, really well in a, a short amount of time and, and formulate an opinion. So that's that's kind of how I do it. Next question comes from Brendan Hayes, who asks, when you were calling out stats for pressure percentage on Burrow last season, were you capping it at 10 and a half games for the rest of the QBs he was compared to?
3: I did have a minimum snap count there, but I was comparing them to all QBs in the league that had taken at least like 50 percent of of whatever the the average NFL season total for snaps was for a team. So it was players that played at least half a season essentially so when there's 15 guys ahead of burrow, that's 15 guys that had at least like 300 snaps at quarterback and Burrow I think was in the 400s when he when he got hurt on passing plays specifically not not just snaps but but um passing snaps so it, it was a it wasn't just guys that had 10 snaps Right, that have 50% pressures. And when I read the names, I, I left some guys off that played a lot of snaps, like uh, Gardner Minshew was pressured more often than Joe Burrow, but he didn't play, obviously, a full season in Jacksonville. So I, I didn't read the name. So uh, that hopefully provides a little bit of clarity around that question. Next question, James, comes from The Duke. The Duke underscore 68 would like to know that since Malik Wright has ended the Chase versus Sewell debate, If the value isn't there at offensive line at 38, would you rather go BPA at another position, such as edge rusher, defensive back, or tight end, or trade back to the 48 to 58 range and take an offensive lineman there after you've moved back?
0: It's a tough decision, right? Because if they take chase at five, everybody for the next, it'll be like 22 and a half hours is going to be talking about protecting Joe Burrow. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Bengals. And I, I think it's more likely than not that the value points the offensive line. But if it doesn't, of course you look at trading down, but not necessarily – you don't look at trade down because of the offensive line issue. You look at trade down because, oh, well, there's six guys we like, three edges, a defensive tackle, and who knows, two corners. And we all like them about the same, and we can add another fourth rounder if we move to to 45th overall. And then maybe – that offensive lineman that we like, maybe we'll, we'll look at him too, or maybe that helps us solve the offensive line because now we have two fourth round picks. Uh, so that's kind of my logic with the, the trade down scenario, which could work if there are multiple offensive linemen on the board. But if there's a clear, this guy's the top guy on our board, I don't want them reaching for offensive line. Like if Jason O there, the defensive end out a, a Penn state, let's say, and he's just so much higher that they have a top. 20 grade on him or a top 15 grade on him. And I don't think he's going to be there. Then you probably take him unless there's a, an offensive lineman that's clearly around it. You know, if Tevin Jenkins is there, well then you run to the podium. Right. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at, but I really think it's going to be hard for the value to be so off where the Bengals can't look at that 38th pick and find an offensive lineman that they really, 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 really really like.
3: I think the danger here is the danger that always exists with, well, I guess any draft pick is that teams are generally overconfident in their evaluations. Fans are overconfident in their evaluations. Everybody thinks they know what's going to happen. And the reality is that nobody knows what's going to happen. And so when presented this choice, I almost always pick the tradeback option because when you add picks, you give yourselves more opportunities to hit the pick and you go back to the Bengals best drafts in the last 10 years, they were, they were almost 10 years ago. Now they had a lot of extra picks in those drafts. And so for me, given the choice of sticking and picking a guy or trading back, I'm almost always trading back. And it's almost to the point where, you know, I'm even willing to trade back from five, maybe more so than some other Bengals fans, or maybe I've just joined team trade back because, you know, (laughs) I, I don't have the confidence In the evaluation of of any of the guys, especially if they're not taking Kyle Pitts at number five. So generally speaking, philosophically, big fan of trading back and adding picks.
0: So you're you're more of a fan of Pitts and more certain that he's going to fit and that he would succeed in Cincinnati than a guy like Sewell or Chase?
3: I, I don't know. And I mean, maybe that's why I don't work in a, in a front office in the NFL and I'm a podcaster instead. But, but you know, I subscribe <laughs> to this idea that teams and fans and analysts are bad at projecting the draft. You're going to get about 50% right. And if that's the case and I can add double the picks, well, I've just increased my chances of starting to hit more picks. And so that's the trade back argument. I'm totally fine with, with Jamar Chase. I'm pretty fine with A Sewell. I think we agree the strength Certainly, second round seems to be an offensive line. I'm sure we'll have more of these questions come up as we wrap up the show and finish up this week's mailbag coming up next. Maybe if I had eaten another Bilt Bar today, I would feel more certainty and feel more confident about my assessments for the fifth overall pick, which I think I've made pretty clear. I'm just throwing out the trade back stuff. And you know what's great about Bilt Bar, James, is, is you can mix and match flavors. You can trade flavors with your friends, get everybody collecting them. Remember when you traded your, your snacks at lunch for the for the other kids' snacks and you could get some variety? Let's let's start a built bar trading collective amongst Locked On Bengals listeners. Everybody, bring them to the next Locked On Bengals meetup. Get your caramel brownie, your cookies and cream, your carrot cake built bars, and bring them to trade with all your Locked On Bengals buddies. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, perfect for a keto diet. We talked about all those great flavors covered in 100% real chocolate. Right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com.
0: Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NFL draft is less than two weeks away, which means you need to get off the sidelines. And head to betonline.ag where they got all the prop bets you could ever ask for from the over under on where Jamar Chase is going to pick. Do you think Malik Wright is right? Because if so, you could cash in at betonline.ag. They got you covered for all the news scores and odds. Maybe you want to win money while watching the Reds game because Major League Baseball on full swing. You can do that at betonline.ag. Go there now whether it's on your laptop or mobile device sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code locked on again betonline.ag sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code locked on betonline your online sports book experts the weekend mailbag rolls on with Steve Erskine he says it seemed like last year almost every pick was a captain on their college team Of the guys you've looked at, who fits that mold, Jake?
3: This has been a really common question you guys have been asking because you know that the Bengals like to draft captains under Zach Taylor. And I went through Dane Brugler's draft guide today, and he does a great job of documenting who is a captain. And I noted some guys that I think could be fits for the Bengals. And I'll try to go through this quick, but there's a lot of names. Larry Roundtree, a day three running back from Mizzou, he would be more of a running back upside because there are pass pro concerns. While Brendan Knox, a day three or unrestricted free agent running back from Marshall, seen as a good pass protector, special teams contributor by Dane, could be more up the Bengals alley. I would maybe look there as a potential college free agent, fitting what they're looking for. Wide receivers, Marquez Stevenson talked about him. Frank Darby talked about him. Last one is Connor Weddington, unrestricted free agent projection by Dane Brugler. Went to Stanford, really good athletic testing, but he's only twenty, but he's already twenty-two years old, and doesn't have a lot of wide receiver experience. One of those track guys, more than a football player at this stage, so some questions about development for him in the tight end, fullback, special teams mold, which is what I would call most of these guys. Ben Mason and Nick Eubanks, day three or unrestricted free agents from Michigan, uh, some major production questions for some of these guys, but uh, could be special teams contributors. Nick Eubanks, more of an athlete. Briley Moore, another one in the athlete mold. Special teams contributor is going to be how he makes a team. And Noah Gray from Duke has tweener size, more of a wide receiver and a tight end body kind of thing. Not sure about that one, but he was a captain. A lot of offensive linemen, as you might expect. Sam Cosme, you've heard of. Alex Leatherwood, you've heard of. Wyatt Davis. So Darius Hutcherson is a guy we've talked about, a day three guy from South Carolina who... Sign me up for every time. Love Sidarius Hutcherson as a, you know, day three offensive lineman. Pretty much every notable center was a captain. Creed Humphrey, Quinn Miners, Josh Myers, Drew Dalman from Stanford, Michael Manet, or Minette, not sure, from Penn State, and Drake Jackson from Kentucky. So quite a few centers on the list. Also a guy that might be interesting, Larnell Coleman, a day three tackle prospect, has pretty good size, pretty good traits. But probably more of a developmental guy out of the University of Massachusetts. On the defensive side of the ball, a lot of edge rushers on the list: James, Carlos Basham, Peyton Turner from Houston, Deo Odeyingbo from Vanderbilt, Patrick Jones, Charles Snowden, Chauncey Golston. But at this point, we're kind of getting into day three: Dalen Hayes from Notre Dame, Chris Rump from Duke, also a coach's son. Fits the Bengals to a T. A little bit undersized to be an edge rusher in their scheme, but hey. He's got a lot of the things they like. Ade Ogundeji from Notre Dame as well. Taryn Jackson, who I believe the Bengals worked out at Coastal Carolina. Jonathan Cooper from OSU. Shaka Tony from Penn State. And Wyatt Hubert, another defensive end from Kansas State that the Bengals have had contact with, also a captain. Continuing on the list, Marvin Wilson, interior defensive lineman from Florida State, at this point seen by many as a day three prospect, was a captain. Jonathan Marshall from Arkansas, one of those athlete guys, high upside. He was a captain, as was Taquan Graham from Texas in a similar mold with probably a few more question marks. A couple corners to throw out there, Asante Samuel Jr. and Ife Melifanwu from Syracuse. A couple guys that were captains that I really like his corner prospects, but where they're expected to be drafted, I don't know if the Bengals will be able to pull it off. And a few linebackers from day three to mention here because if they do pick a linebacker, I think it would be on day three. Monty Rice from Georgia, Buddy Johnson from Texas A&M, and Justin Hilliard from OSU is a captain, but has those medical questions that are going to be on the forefront for NFL teams. And that is a long list of captains for everybody interested in captains. I hope that was everything <laughs> that you could have all ever dreamed of. Next question comes from Jack Alpaca Death Trap. What has been more tiresome, James? Chase versus Sewell or last year's Joe Burrow's going to pull an Eli Manning?
0: Oh, that one that that chase versus Sewell is at least pretty entertaining and yeah i get it you're tired of it but the the burrow manning stuff what really he was gonna pull a manning because he wanted to go to the miami dolphins who have won so damn much over the past two decades like get the hell out of here what did dan marino do in miami like it's it's hard to win in the nfl Uh, that's the part that killed me is it was like yeah he he needs to get his way to miami to washington Oh, that, that sounds like a great landing spot, right? So, no, I, uh, I, I thought that that was just ridiculous. So that was certainly more tiresome. And by the way, I wasn't even covering the team for most of that. And I still felt that because it was completely ridiculous. What about you? I know it's rapid fire about the but What about you?
3: Yeah, no, I agree. It was ridiculous. It was tiresome. It was worn out. It was never happening. It's just the nature of the draft. and And nobody's saying it this year. Nobody's saying it about Trevor Lawrence, which is actually kind of surprising. Nobody's saying it about Zach Wilson. It's not like the Jaguars and Urban Meyer have a gleaming track record or the Jets, who just apparently ruined Sam Darnold by hiring and then keeping Adam Gase, have a great track record. So, I mean, yeah, I like Robert Saleh, but the Jets are the Jets.
0: Next question comes from Daniel Whitaker. He tweeted, T.J. Hushmanzada said it's not how fast the wide receiver is, it's how fast they deaccelerate. Is there any way to judge that trait through analytics or film study to see how Chase performs in that skill set?
3: Well, they do run some tests at the combine that test in a uh, receiver's ability to start and stop quickly. Uh, the, the shuttle is just kind of going back and forth between two lines and then accelerating out of that stance. And the three cone is going back and forth between some cones and then around a cone and and trying to accelerate the whole time through that. So both of those tests are designed to test the the player's ability to corner and and that requires deacceleration and acceleration. So I think you do have those tests, but largely you're looking at film study, you're looking at flexibility for guys how well are they sinking their hips? How sudden are they in and out of breaks? And so it's a combination, I think, of, of you can see some of it in testing and you're, you're always, for all of these things, mostly looking at tape. And I also would disagree with TJ that it does matter how fast a wide receiver is for certain parts of football. I mean, I think the way TJ won certainly wasn't with speed. It was with getting in and out of his breaks. It was with starting and stopping. It was with precise route running. But there are some guys, Deshaun Jackson... I mean, he's a good route runner, but Deshaun Jackson's speed and Tyreek Hill's speed, Marquise Goodwin's speed, that's the reason some of these guys get open deep. And so I, I do think speed matters, and I also think that start-stop does matter too. So uh, partially disagree with TJ there. And uh, to answer the question, film study and testing is how you would measure it. Last question, James. Gary at Tiki Nola on Twitter wants to know, is the top four edge rushing group of Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, Khaled Kareem, and Amani Bledsoe the worst edge rushing group in the NFL?
0: It isn't good. Is it the worst? I don't think it's the worst. I think the Bengals um, probably have, uh, it's safe to say they're below average, but I don't even think it's necessarily the worst in the division. You got the Ravens, that's certainly one. The Titans are another team, and we saw that firsthand last year. They struggle to get after the passer. Uh, and there are a couple others in there, I'm sure, that uh, that that fall short of what the Bengals currently have, but that's why edge is is one of those positions where I, I certainly think they're going to look in the draft, and and you could see them within one of the first three rounds potentially addressing it.
3: That's why they were talking to Ryan Kerrigan. You know, they they certainly still see this as an area of need, and I think it is too. And and no matter what way they go in the draft at this point you're going to be left with holes. You're either going to have a hole at three tack. You're going to have a hole at edge rusher. You're going to have a hole at wide receiver. You're going to have a hole in the offensive line. The the way that they've done free agency to this point, there's nothing they can do at the draft that will leave them holeless unless they absolutely crush day three of the draft in a way that would be, you know, back to the Geno Atkins kind of grand slam in the fourth round or George Iloka find later on day three they would have to really get that kind of success rate in this draft to go into the season with no holes in their starting lineup, not even to mention depth. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked Bengals podcast. We'll be back early next week with Dame Brugler. We'll take a look at the what would we do mock draft scenario as we inch ever closer to the draft coming up in just a couple weeks. Until then, Bengals fans, hootay, and have a good one.